This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. Today I'll be doing a review of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Uh, this is a film that I was looking forward to um, because I really do like Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, 2004 remake of George A. Romero's uh, original classic. So I like what he did with that film. And I think now that he's got a clout as a director, because that was his feature directorial debut back then. Um, I'm interested to see what he could actually do with a bit bigger of a budget. This film cost around $95 million, I believe, and that's not including marketing costs. So it was a hefty budget for this type of film. Um, and I like, too, that he went for a relative known cast. I mean, we've got Batista in the lead, but I really liked that he sort of steered away from, you know, the classic, you know, getting like this big ensemble. All of these actors are relatively good, which I'll get into um, when I review. Um, but I, I thought it was just interesting to see his approach type of film again, I guess. Uh, the original film as well, um, or the original film, his original zombie flick, Dawn of the Dead, didn't have a huge cast either um, and rely more so on character actors, which he does here. Uh, this film is a bit more tongue-in-cheek in tone. Um, it definitely does have its more somber and serious moments, but at the same time, it does play up the absurdity of the... which I do enjoy. So we'll get stuck into all of that. This review will also contain spoilers. I can't really talk about the film and my gripes um, with the film unless I break down a few spoilers here and there. So I will be discussing a few of those. So if you haven't already seen them, then steer clear of this review because it will contain mild spoilers. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but I do need to talk about a few things. Um... And yeah, I guess that's really my into this film. Like I said, I'm looking forward to it just because Zack Snyder, as a filmmaker, as of late, I guess, after what I saw, what he did with his Justice League, I just wanted to see what he would do then returning back to more of an original idea. So yeah, I think that sort of introduces the film just fine. So uh, without further ado, let's just get stuck into Army of the Dead. So take it away, trailer. Mr. Ward, how would you like to make 50 million dollars? On a warm summer's evening. On a train bound for nowhere. Up where the gambling. We were both too tired to sleep. So we took turns of staring. At the window at the darkness. Boredom overtook us. And he made speed. He said, son, I've made a life. I've written people's faces. Think about it. Everything we did, all those people say. The way they held their eyes. Look like us. You don't mind my But what if? I can see your outfaces. What if just. For a taste of your we did something just for us. You ready to play? There's $200 million in vault beneath it. With a 32 hour window to get it on. Find the safe. This should be a simple in and out. It's not good to go back. What the? They're not what you think they are. 
They're smart. They're faster. They're organized. That's what you can hope for is to die. Oh, Shiza. You got That's crossing the line. So, Army of the Dead, written, directed, and lensed by Zack Snyder. Yes, this film was, um, he was the director of photography, cinematographer for this, so it is really Zack Snyder's complete vision, and as he said in a recent interview, there will be no director's cut of this film, so this is his entire vision. Netflix let him go hand. He did exactly what he wanted to. Um, so, any complaints you have can directly be aimed at Zack Snyder. Um, it stars Dave Batista, Ella Pennell, uh, Anna D. Reguro, I'm sorry if I screwed up her name, uh, Amari Hardwick, Athea Rossi, um, Nora Arzendida, um, Hiroki Sanada, who was in Mortal Kombat as of recent, uh, Garrett Dylan Hunt, uh, Antigua Notaro, um, and those, a, after a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble venturing into the quarantine zone. Um, and essentially try to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. Um, so when the film is first set up initially, you think of, I guess we see this awesome montage at the start of, um, with, uh, to the backdrop of um, Elvis, which was fantastic, um, and different covers of Elvis' music, which I loved. I thought it was really well put together, and the credits rolling over the um, sequence, um, and we essentially just get this montage of just havoc in Las Vegas. So we're just seeing, like, just, you know, these zombies just recapping just the... Um, mercenaries that we're introduced to, which are done really well, um, where they're just essentially, um, you know, killing zombies and, and what, um, and I guess the way that we're introduced to them, um, it, it does this thing where, like, they'll show, like, Batista, for instance, killing a bunch of zombies, and it will go pile of zombies in the back, and it's like a photo shoot, and he's getting a photo taken, and it's him holding, like, a family uh, portrait. And I just thought that was a really unique way of introducing each of these characters, rather than spending, you know, a great deal of time setting up, you know, their generic backstories, rather we just get some really cool introductions, and I thought that was handled really well. The montage sequence is fantastic, it's one of my favourite moments of the film, it's just like, so over the top, so cheesy, so corny, but it's handled really well, and I was like, this is actually a lot of fun. Um, and that's what I was for, for this uh, forward to with this film. It was just a really entertaining zombie flick. Um, we also have like a really fun intro sequence as well with the actual outbreak, so they're carding ends up being like the god lead zombie essentially um they're carting him to whatever merry operation that they're carrying out um and due to um you know just uh, two newlyweds heading home from vegas crashing into the pool, the zombie breaks out kills the uh, entire military um convoy um and yeah heads to las vegas and that's our intro to this outbreak so it's not in the same world as dawn of the dead which i think a lot of people were i guess thinking maybe that's what's um Snyder was going to do was going to return to his own universe there. Uh, rather, this is a different universe. Now, they could say that it was a prelude to Dawn of the Dead. Absolutely. Maybe that's what the ending's telling us. But at the same time, I don't really think that it was completely necessary for that to um, be the case. I'm just to be its own self-contained story. There is sequel bait at the end of the film, um, which I'll get into. But I, I don't necessarily need to see another film. I thought this was a nice contained story. Um, and I really did have fun watching it. It has its problems, which we'll get into. But Overall, it's just really well handled, and um, it was nice to see Zack Snyder sort of 
not take material as seriously as what he's done in the past. I guess a, a sheer contrast would be like Batman vs Superman. Now, I've said before, I don't hate that movie. A lot of people absolutely hate it, regarded as like the worst blockbuster ever made. I don't necessarily think that, and I think you have a look at the actual material he was trying to do with that film and have a look at the finished product. It just doesn't really translate over just because you have such silly elements, a god dressed up as a bat and a, a literal god alien living on Earth. So you've got those two characters, but you're taking them so goddamn seriously that it's hard for the audience really to connect with them. And there's always been that disc with Zack Snyder and I guess handling real life characters. He seems to be able to handle, you know, the gods and the superheroes really well. Like, have a look at 300, but he doesn't really handle just the everyday people. Like have a look at his, the way he's handled Lois Lane, um, you know, Batman vs Superman and Justice League, even his vision of Justice League. Lois Lane just has nothing to do. And it's because he's more of a regular person and he puts these other characters on pedestals, which is fine because they're the folk understand that. But it's just the way that he does handle those everyday characters. They've always been a bit of a, you know, a mismatch and he's just been unable to really connect with those characters. And I think the more that he's given to do in these films, um, especially the DCU, um, the more that they become sort of the background of the of the story. He he tries to retrofit by saying Lois Lane's the key to everything, but she's given nothing to do. So while she might be the key to this, you know, eventual destruction of she's really given nothing to do outside of that. She's a bit better in Men of Steel. Um, he does a bit more with her there, but like, you know, progressively she just doesn't get a lot to do. So in this film, he's not dealing with those superheroes as such. He's dealing with, you know, just everyday people. I guess they are still mercenaries and they were a part of the army and they all have their specialized skills. Um, I hope that thinking when um, Dave Bautista is putting the team together, the Rick and Morty episode ripping on the heist because, uh, you know, just expecting each character afterwards to say, you son of a bitch, I'm in. It was just, it just felt exactly out of that. It's typical heist setup. Everyone has a set of skills. Dave Bautista knows exactly where they all are. They put together the team. No one says no, and they're all together and they're good to go. So I found that to be, you know, quite comical because uh, you know, I, why play with her? That's what happens in heist movies, and that's what happens here. Um, it felt like Ocean's Eleven with just gore and zombies. Like, that's pretty much what it is. So um, I, I did have a lot of fun with just that setup because I thought that the way that the actors are all handled, they've all given their backstory as minute as some of them might be. Um, it's still present, which was quite entertaining to see because I don't really need these huge backstories. The mercenaries going to break into a casino during a zombie apocalypse. Cool. I'm done. That's all I need. Uh, and that's the way that this film is set up. And that's really the, all there is to the story. There's a bit of a backstory with Batista and his daughter. Um, essentially, he killed his wife because she was infected. Really heavily explained. It doesn't really need to be. I guess he was living in Las Vegas, maybe at the time. Um, and yeah, his daughter witnessed him killing his uh, mum. So he's had that disconnect with his daughter, uh, which is explored a little during the film. And uh, due to circumstances, which I found to be quite comical, um, how she actually eventually gets involved in the heist. So essentially... Batista puts together the team. He needs way into uh, Vegas. Uh, there's a quarantine zone side of Vegas, and it's set up to be, you know, like um, a bit of a, a holdover camp, um, essentially for all these people who were, you know, around that area. Um, and essentially, what happens is uh, he goes and sees his daughter and says, "Look, can you get me in? I'll give you fifteen million dollars." And she's like, "Right, yep, cool, sounds good." So they sort of rekindle there, but then um, he finds, uh, she finds out that the two characters that she's talking to at the start of the film. Uh, two mothers they've been taken um by the uh, as like um an offering to the zombies essentially so they're over quarantine war essentially they give the alpha zombies you know like a sacrifice or just something them at bay sort of thing so it's like a mutual understanding 
Um, and uh, Batista's daughter's like, I've got to get over the wall and save them. So, and then Batista and her have an argument and she ends up joining the team. Um, but yeah, essentially there's a hierarchical structure these characters with the, um, the zombies, which is really interesting. It's something that we haven't seen explored. And I guess uh, probably in the comments, people are going to throw at me, you know, different zombie um, zombie related materials like graphic novels, comic books, whatever. But out of the things I've seen, I haven't seen that sort of hierarchical structure that's really um, well established here um, before. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, we have like this uh, king zombie um, who's obviously a lot more intelligent than the his alphas that sort of um, follow him. And it's established that if he bites someone and they turn into a zombie, they're going to be considered an alpha and they're a quicker star and more efficient than regular zombies, or I think she calls them organized in the trail. Um, and that's what they are. They're a lot more, um, a lot more, I don't even know. The, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't even really know the word. Um, I guess they're just more attuned to their certain understanding of you know, the world that they live in, I guess. They're, they're, they're self-aware. I guess that's probably the best way to, to really discuss, um, you know, what they are, um, which is really interesting. I thought that was a really unique take on the zombie because overcrowded genre that you need to do something different for the film standout. So we have a highest film set in the zombie apocalypse or partial zombie apocalypse done. We have a ticking time bomb, um, a nuke, or um, a smaller nuke, they say, just so they for the fact that they're not nuking their own country. Um, a nuke's going to be dropped on Vegas um, within 24 hours, so they've, or 48 hours, I think, initially. So they've got two days to get in, get the money and get out. Um, we then have an established plot that um, there's not actually, the money's not the focus. Um, there's, they want a head of one of the alphas to sell um, so they can have their own, you know, um, their own zombie army. I think that's the way that it's put anyway. Um, so um, this character who is the owner of the casino sends his man, played by Dilla Hunt, um, and he's an asshole. He's got his own secret agenda, um, and that's really the establishment there, and I guess that's what they're trying to do. They want the teeth getting the money, there's a secret agenda, and chaos ensues after that. Um some of the sequences I really enjoyed, there's a really good sequence where they um, essentially they go indoors, they make a sacrifice um, of this complete asshole who's established at the start that it's kind of like a rapist type that's uh, working at the quarantine zone. So they make a sacrifice of him to the zombies. Um, so they've got passage in Vegas. So hopefully the zombies will leave them alone or the alphas will at least. Um, so they're advised to go indoors. So they go indoors and we find that there's like, you know, probably hundreds of these zombies or the, the lesser ones. Um, that are down the food chain are hibernating. Um, so they've just got to go through this area without making a sound. Um, and it's pretty fun and well-established. Um, so essentially Batista's leading them through. He's got these little glow sticks throwing them through so they can see the path that they need to take to get through um, all these hibernating zombies. Um, but it's funny because we don't actually see Batista go through them. We see the characters after Batista following, you know, the little glokes. Um, and because Batista's so big, I just wanted to see him maneuver through these little glow sticks that he's thrown along the way um, of how to actually get through because it would have been really funny because yeah, he's quite big and when we see eventually what happens, so one of the characters keeps running into the zombies, wakes them up and she's like stabbing them through the brain sort of thing to keep them quiet so they don't wake the other ones up. She kills with them and puts her up against like this, they're in a kitchen and puts them up against like this uh, shelf that's got pots and pans on it. And they're hanging on a pan, she drags the pan down and it wakes up all the zombies and then just like this awesome action sequence ensues. It was really stressful up until that point anyway. Um, but yeah, we get this awesome action sequence and then we sort of get the hint then that Dilla Hunt's character is an asshole. He locks um, the girl who's trapped in there with them, uh, locks her in with all the zombies and she eventually escapes. But if she just stood up and started, she would have survived. But instead she she just gets taken by all the zombies um, in quite a brutal and gory death. And I was like, wow, okay. She had to just stop for being on the ground. She would have been fine. She just needs to stand up, like slide herself away a bit and then stand up and run. And she would have been fine. And then uh, then just blowing up all the zombies because she's got like a fuel canister on her back and then just shoot it. 
yeah, all the zombies go up in smoke. Um, but that sequence is really fun. That was one of my favorite sequences in the film. Um, I really like as well as this commitment between three of the characters. We have our um, our safe cracking guy, um, and he's really funny. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters in the film. He has like a decent little um, Amari Hardwick's character as well. Um, he gets a little something to do here, uh, which is fun. Um, so essentially, there um, there's like all these tripwires and stuff leading up to the safe, um, and they thought that they were they were told that they were non-lethal tripwires. So they get zombies to try and um, set off each of these traps. Um, that just established that they're pretty much trapped. So um, Amari Hardwick keeps going downstairs of the casino, getting a zombie in the back up and trying to make them war. Um, and they like warm up a hand at one stage and throw it through. It's like, oh, it's the heat they're attracted to, which is pretty funny. Um, and um, the zombies essentially walk through all of this, um, all of the traps that he's like, oh shit, these are, these are lethal. Like we should have been told this, this is illegal. And I found that to be quite funny too. But um, yeah, that's the whole sequence was a bit of fun. The zombie doesn't pan out and turns on the person. They shoot it. Then Amari Hardwick has to go down and get another one. They only do it twice. And I thought a third time would have made it even funnier because the second time I was like, huh, that's kind of funny. And I was like, if they did that a third time, it would have been actually pretty funny, but they don't go a third time with the gag. Um, but yeah, it was that, that sequence was a bit of fun too. Um, there's moments throughout that I, I enjoy like that. Um, but I do have my fair share of issues with the film too. And I guess mainly they do revolve around little plot holes and inconveniences that don't really make a lot of sense. Um, the biggest one is the actual ending for me. Um, so essentially, Batista does die. Um, the king zombie gets out um, by getting in the helicopter. The helicopter crashes after the nuclear Um But Batista has been bitten. So the story comes full circle and the daughter has to then kill um, Batista. Um, now, the way that that is established and the way it plays off, I'm fine with that. Um, we, we get a couple of minutes period there where um from them being bitten to be turned into zombies it sort of varies throughout the film but it remains relatively consistent that it's within a couple of minutes um amari hardwick character however um essentially he's warring with the big bad um that they sort of have like this mutual understanding that he's not going to shoot him sort of thing because the arms aren't working so he's like i'm going to fight him so he fights him and he gets his ass kicked then safe cracker guy sort of saves him by putting him in a safe locking the safe and then getting killed by the zombies for his death um we do know that he dies um, but essentially, Murray Hardwick then is like, after the nuclear bomb and stuff, um, we see him throwing the bags and money up, um, and he actually walks away from the explosion, which my issue, my, my main issue is that like, the, even after the explosion, even if they say, you know, it's not a full nuclear blast sort of thing, radiation and stuff, the bomb would have killed him instantly, I'd say. Um, he was ground zero from a nuclear bomb, so surely dies. Um, but essentially, when he um, comes out of there I, I would have said that there would have been like a military presence around the actual um bomb site they probably would have had a perimeter set up um so for the fact that he actually was chucks a bunch of money and just says hey fly me out on a private jet doesn't really make a lot of sense for me i, I just kept thinking like, i understand he's got money and they just really want this established but I, I would have been fine with his character just being left and maybe a little after credit sting with him just make um we see him um at the airport buying your ticket and that's how it ends sort of thing and you're like oh what's the go here um, but essentially, um, yeah, he buys um, a, a private jet. Um, he's on the private jet with these two stewardesses. Um, they all have a toast um, that they're alive, essentially. Um, he sort of says he's not feeling well, goes into the back, and then we see that he actually has been bitten by a zombie. Now, it's been at least a couple of hours since he would have been bitten, maybe even more. It could have even been a... Um, and he has not turned to a zombie yet, so I don't know. And I think he was bitten by the Alpha because that's who he was fighting with. So if he's been bitten by the Alpha then he should be definitely dead, um, or at least dead. He should be a zombie by that point. But instead, we don't have his transformation into the zombie. We have a sequel set up where he's heading to Mexico, so maybe a, a sequel within this universe where a zombie outbreak's happening in Mexico. Um, I had a bit of a problem with that because I was like, okay, we've, we've set up relatively consistent rules here that a zombie you know, takes a couple of minutes for it to actually um, 
turn its prey into a zombie. Um, that's how long it takes after the bite. Fine, cool. But instead here, Amari Harwick's character's taken at least a day. Um, so that's not really consistent. It's kind of like the Avengers Infinity War problem where, um, you know, Tom Holland's Spider-Man takes a couple extra minutes to to, to dust um, after everyone else does. So, um, yeah, I guess I um, had a bit of an issue with that. Um, but that's really my main big plot, uh, I, I guess, issue or plot hole. I have a bit of an issue with. Um, everything else is relatively consistent with the world that's established, so I'm okay with it. Um, the film is a bit overly, uh, it is overly long. It goes for two and a half hours and whilst it doesn't really feel a half hour movie, it felt more like a two hour movie. Um, there are some sequences and maybe some characters that could be cut out because, I mean, if you're going to set, like, I have a pretty big cast of characters. Um, we know that some of them are going to get their commands throughout, definitely. But I feel that you don't really need to, um, yeah, have that many characters because there's too many to keep track of so we're set up with that there's uh, a character that has the thing for batista um her neck is snapped in a way where it's snapped and you see her spine just start popping out of her neck i was like oh that is really gory and brutal um she's killed um you know in a very very rushed sort of sequence and, and things like that where i was like okay you've introduced like a forced love thing going on here um so maybe it doesn't need to be there things like that i, I think there was enough character work to go on without these little subbots um some of the zombie stuff as well. Um, so we find out that um, after um, Del's character kills um, a zombie, um, cuts off its head, um, it's the main girl zombie, which we find out um, is sort of like the queen, and she's crowned, so we know that she's the queen. Um, she was pregnant with, I guess, a zombie baby, so they were establishing that they could breed, um, which is really interesting. Um, that's sort of established, but there's not a lot um, explained there. Maybe if a character saw that happen, like, oh, crap, they can get pregnant, just so we had that reaction to it. Um, and that's something that Zaxxon is not great at, is the actions from characters. Um, so not having that reaction is sort of a big issue for me. Um, not, a, not a huge issue, but I just would have liked to have seen maybe just a reaction, say, oh, crap, they can they can breed, so this is a bit of a, a threat, someone be warned. Um, so now that I guess, like, we have Amari Hardwick's character heading to Mexico, um, you know, maybe if he knew that, and he's like, oh, shit, so then when he does turn into a zombie, he's like, oh, crap, we could actually breed, something like that. I don't know, nothing. Um, just so that that actually have a payoff. Instead, it's not really service you know for anything else rather than um the revenge plot of the main zombie um which i guess if his queen dies anyway would have been serviceable enough that's sort of my main uh issues with the film um, apart from that and i really would recommend this to fans of zombie films or just people wanting something fun i guess in america it's the summer movie season so they're like what can we watch like what, what's the moment and i would highly recommend this i actually think this would be better suited on the big green there are a lot of good effects on display. Um, it is really large in scope, which is something I wasn't expecting. Um, and I, I, it would be better experienced on that big screen. Um, there are some brutal kills. My favorite is actually the tiger kill. So we know in the trailer that there's a zombie tiger um, and he kills Dilla Hunt's character. And it is absolutely brutal. It's like a tiger death um, with, with his character. And because he's such a scumbag, you see him go. But it's just absolutely brutal. We see him like that, you know, dragged around by the tiger and eventually just his head just like pops. It's disgusting, but it was like really well done. Um, a lot of the, like I mentioned, the blood and gore in this film is like, one, this is one of the goriest, like, big-budgeted films I've seen in quite some time. And I was really okay with that. Um, and it probably makes me sound like a sicko, but we haven't had like, this level of gore in, like, a big movie for quite some time. I was like, this is actually thoroughly entertaining, and I'm, I'm okay with this type of gore. Um, going back to a movie I saw back in 2010 with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker, uh, Leif Schreiber as well, called Repo Men, which is a film I actually thoroughly enjoyed. Um, that is probably the last like being gory in film since then like you could go some of the saw sequels like even spiral last week i talked about um was quite gory but 
this this film just feels like yeah it, it is up the gorier films i've seen um and what i was going to say with repo men was that repo men um back in 2010 was actually quite gory and i remember um that didn't get a matic release in australia because it was a little over the top gore uh overlord recently too is another one i can think of being that bigger budgeted film but it's hovering around that 25 mil uh this film yeah nearly 100 million dollars and it is gory as hell um so yeah if you if you're a bit um a, a bit of a um, a fan of gore then you'll like it but if you don't like that and it makes you feel a bit ill then definitely steer away because there are some really gory sequences there's even a sequence where um, that sequence I mentioned where they're putting the zombie through all the lethal and non-lethal um, booby traps essentially and there's these two cement pillars that sort of just squash the zombie come back and there's just guts everywhere I was like oh man this is fucking disgusting but I'm okay with it because I do like um, you know a gory film if it's a bit of fun so yeah, would highly, highly recommend Army of the Dead. I'd agree with it. It's by no means a masterpiece. Um, and Zack Snyder just has won me over of recent. I listened to a fair few interviews with him. I still have my with some of his films. Man of Steel probably being the biggest one. I don't like that film. Um, you can really, my issue being the third act. And one day I might review it. But remember that third act and some of the destruction in the middle as well. And maybe I would enjoy that film a little more. It's just because just the sheer destruction and just the, of care taken with that um the idea of just you know superman just basically killing everyone um it, it just really doesn't sit well with me and batman uh, versus superman dawn of justice uh, definitely has um elements of joy i think it is a, a relatively entertaining film the ultimate edition of that film i would give you know around that it nearly gets a seven out of ten for me which is pretty crazy considering how hated it is um and a lot of stuff in man of steel is retrofitted to you know serve a point in the plots of dawn of justice but it still has that connotation of you know just so much destruction that i, just, I can't forgive that film for that um but we do have you know like some entertaining um films in his filmography too sucker punch is one that i don't really like i like the visual style in sucker punch it's actually a lot of fun but the film itself it just doesn't really i don't know it's just thematically understand what he was going for in the film it just never really worked for me which is a bit of a shame because i do like um, the visual style of that film, but yeah, it's just something I don't love. Legends of the Guardians, the Eyes of Garhul is actually a really beautiful looking film. It is a lot of two, um, made here in Australia, which is really cool. Um, and it's something a little different. I like 300. Um, he wrote 300 Rise of Empire, and I don't mind that film either. 300 is okay. I think 300 is overrated, but I do like it. Um, his version of Watchmen as well, actually thoroughly, and you know that a lot of people don't like it. And I remember when I first saw it back in 2009, when it came out, way too young to understand what's going on. Um, but in recent years, I've got the 4K Blu-ray and I, I just really enjoy uh, actually his director's cut of that film. I think it's really entertaining. Um, and I think as a filmmaker, he's got a lot to say. Uh, visually, he is always been striking. Um, his use of slow motion, which I heard in an interview recently, like, I don't really like slow motion. I just use it. And he just said, I would think that I use, you know, less than 1%, but I'm sure that there's a statistic that I use more. And I think it's quite funny seeing his perspective on that because he does use it a hell of a lot. But I'm okay with it used sparingly. Um, it's a it's a technique that I don't really like a lot. Um, but if he uses it appropriately, which he did in uh, his version of Justice League, I thought the slow motion was completely fine. Um, and I thought that it worked with uh in the context of the film, especially using it with like Flash and that sort of thing. It works well. Um, but yeah, as a filmmaker, I do like him. I think that he has a lot to say. Um, but yeah, Army of the Dead. Uh, my verdict. I I really did have a fun time with the guy. I don't think that it is for everyone. Um, my partner really didn't like it, but. It's just one of those films that I think if it hits you in the right mood, then you are going to really enjoy it. Um, and I, I had a really good time with it. So I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. I did have a really fun time with it. Uh, it's not a piece by any means. And like I said, it does have those plot holes that are a little annoying, especially if you think too much about them. But 
as a fan of Snyder's more recent work, um, I was yeah, really, really had fun. And I like that he went back to, I suppose, as well with um, Dawn of the Dead being his first major film. So yeah, guys, I had a really good time with this one. So I would definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, it is now streaming on Netflix. And if you're one of the lucky international audience members who got to see it in the big screen, I'd love to hear your experience of seeing that one because it's in IMAX over in the States, which is really cool. So if you did get to see it on the big screen, please let me know yeah, what that experience was like, because it's a film that I'd have liked to have seen on the big screen. Um, but that brings this review to a close, guys. So thank you for listening. Make sure you check out my other reviews that I've done recently for Women in the Window, Willie's Wonderland. Um, I've done one for Boss Level. I've done a few. Um, so definitely go and check out those reviews, and I'll be having more content coming at you soon with the release schedule looking a little more friendly for cinematic experiences. So look forward to reviews of, like, A Quiet Place Part 2 I'm hoping to have out, um, as well as hopefully... Uh, doing Cruella, Raider and the Last Dragons, one that I got on Blu-ray recently too, so I wouldn't mind checking that out. So yeah, look forward to more reviews coming at you shortly, guys. And until next time...